The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. We exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. If you have any questions or even a story to share about how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for listening, and we pray that God's Word will enrich your journey today. Well, this weekend is all about honoring and celebrating this fantastic group of people called mothers. So to all the moms, I'm sure you look wonderful today. So let me just say, thank you for making our planet a much better place because of your unending love and sacrifice for all of us. Now, I wish I could be with you in person today, but I'm quarantining because Laura recently got COVID-19 at an out-of-state volleyball tournament. So if you could keep her in your prayers, that would be greatly appreciated. Now, before we get into the message, I'd just like to take a moment and I wanna pray for all the moms. So would you bow your head and your hearts with me? Father, we, we come to you and we thank you for all of our moms. We, we just, uh, we celebrate them this day. They are so special to us. We honor them and we thank you for our moms because they are a reminder to us of your great warmth and care that's only captured in the heart of a mother. So God, I pray that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, and that you would guide them as we celebrate them on this special Mother's Day weekend. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You know, this service is one of the most well-attended services of the year. And I can't tell you how many times in pastoring I've heard different moms say this line. They said, you know, Adam, I am really hoping my kids come to church with me on Mother's Day. Maybe you're that son or daughter today, and you're here to honor mom. And what mom wants you to hear is this one verse. This is her deepest desire for you. Here's the verse. Here's what your mom would say to you. She would say this. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Right, moms? And most moms I know are banking on the fact that truth will be shared in church. Right, moms? Hit me with a little amen. Come on, come on. A little louder. Amen? Amen. So the title of my message is this, a great church and a not so great church. Now, I assume that most of you have some kind of church background. And as you look back on your church experience, there are some of you that would say, I was a part of a great church. I heard the word of God, the Bible taught in such a way that the truth of Jesus was clearly articulated that it caused me to want to read my Bible and to know Jesus. I saw people who, who modeled in such a way what it means to live authentically and to follow Jesus. We had a strong youth ministry in our kids program. It was exciting and inspiring. And we just didn't talk about changing the world. My church was active in serving and loving our community. So let me ask you, how many of you, by show of hands, and if you're joining online, put the hand raids emoji in the chat. Put it in the chat right now. You would say that was true of your church background. You grew up in a great church. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. All right, you can put them down. But then there are some of you who would say, Adam, well, unfortunately, that was not my experience with church. I, I, was, not a, I was a part of a not-so-great church. Church was boring, and worship, well, I don't know what they called that, but that music, it wasn't worship. God probably plugged his ears when my church sang. And to be honest, I was forced to go. There was zero passion. 
I saw a lot of hypocrisy, and what I experienced was a lot of religion versus anything that was meaningful to my spiritual development. And the message of Jesus, it wasn't clearly articulated. I, I didn't really get it. So you would say that you were more turned off to God because of your church experience. How many of you would say that was true of you? Show of hands again, go ahead, show of hands online. Put that hand raise emoji, put it in the chat. All right, all right, put your hands down. And how many would say, Adam, I just didn't have a church background. Well, all right, here there are all kinds of different experiences. And let me just say at the start of this message, before we dive in, there are no perfect churches. There are no perfect churches. And there are no perfect leaders who lead churches. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Okay, okay, I hear you. But let me also say there are no perfect people who make up churches either. Let's just be fair. So when you combine perfect or imperfect leaders with imperfect people, you have a lot of what? A lot of imperfection. But there are some churches, obviously, that are better than others. So today, we're going to look at a great example of the first church and a not-so-great example of the first church because we want to be a great church with great examples. That's who we want to be at Pathways, a great church. Amen? If you've been tracking with us in the series called Supernatural, the first church, a number of about 3,000 in total were born in Acts chapter 2. But as we get to Acts chapter 4, and we saw last week, the number has grown to number about 5,000 men, the text says. Now, when you add women and children to the church in Jerusalem, it was exploding to the point somewhere in the ballpark of about 10,000 people. And at the end of chapter 4, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is the observation, the description that he says about the church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. That's a huge statement. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, and they brought the money from, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. What an incredible thing, right? There was no needy person among them in the church. There, there, there was a spirit of compassionate generosity. Now, you have to understand the context for a moment. The first followers of Jesus were Jews, and this was taking place in Jerusalem, the, the headquarters, if you will, of the first church. And those who were following Jesus were experiencing opposition from the Jewish establishment. There was a high degree of likelihood that those followers who had businesses were now being shunned and their businesses were in a downturn and some of them had fallen on hard times. Well, in that case, the church stepped up to help their fellow brothers and sisters. No needy persons among them. Now, that compassionate generosity was never meant to create a welfare system. Later on in the New Testament, there's this indication that people began to take advantage of the church. For example, Paul writes to Timothy, and the church that he pastors in Ephesus, he writes these words. He says, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse off than an unbeliever. Simply put, get a job. Paul says you need to go to work. Moms, would you agree with Paul, right? You want your kids to have a job, right? Right. 
Well, the, the generosity of the church is not to be taken advantage of so that you can relax and do nothing. This was not intended to create a welfare system. But as we all know, there are times when people go through challenging experiences. Businesses suffer, a health crisis, somebody loses a job and soon the bills start stacking up and people feel like they're drowning. And I want you to know as a church at Pathways, we step up and while you might not not be aware of it, but in the framework, within the framework of our budget, we set up a benevolence fund. When people, when they come across some hard times in our church, it's our privilege to come alongside with discernment and wisdom to help. Now we can't do it all, but we want to be the kind of church that's modeled in Acts chapter four. We wanna live into this kind of description. So now we come to a great example of the first church in verse 36. It reads this way. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, compassionate generosity, and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. The author here, Luke, introduces to us a man named Joseph. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph, a whole lot about Joseph, except for the fact that he's a Levite from the tribe of Levi who provided the priest. No indication, though, that he was a priest. However, we do know that he was a foreigner, not from Jerusalem, because it says that he was from Cyprus, a little island in the Mediterranean. So he jumped in and he joined the church and he had a unique spirit. He had a way about him. He threw off a vibe, he had some swag. And so the apostles called him Barnabas. Why? Because that name means son of encouragement. What a nickname. He was an encourager. So why does Luke mention him? I mean, out of all the supernatural signs and wonders that are occurring in the church, why does Luke pick Barnabas out from the crowd? Well. As we continue on in the book of Acts, we're gonna see that Barnabas becomes a key figure in the life of the church. In fact, Barnabas will be mentioned some 25 times in this New Testament book. Let me just give you one example, Acts chapter nine. In Acts chapter nine, a Pharisee named Saul encounters Jesus and becomes the apostle Paul. Well, Paul at a point in time comes to Jerusalem. He wants in on the church. He wants to meet the apostles and help the cause. But the apostles are super skeptical about meeting Paul. Look at verse 26. It says this. When he, Paul, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. As many of you know, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was a leading killer of Christians. In chapter 7, Saul leads the killing of a disciple named Stephen. So the apostles were afraid. Understandably so, right? Well, the next verse says this, but Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and, and how in Damascus he preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. But Barnabas, I love that. Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus, he put his arm around Paul, formerly Saul, and he said in effect, Peter, I want you to meet Paul. I know this guy, I can vouch for him. Peter, Peter, listen, listen. My gut tells me that this dude right here, he's gonna help out the church a lot. So friends, how important do you think Barnabas is? Well, Paul is introduced to the church by Barnabas and Paul eventually becomes the most dominant figure in the church by compiling three missionary trips in which he started 14 churches and wrote almost half of the entire New Testament that we hold in our hands today. So how important is Barnabas? 
he's pretty important. He's generous. He's an encourager. He sees the best in people, and he's instrumental in seeing and being a part of the big picture. Oh, how we need, how the church of Jesus Christ today needs more Barnabases. But you know what? There was no way when Barnabas gave that gift in Acts chapter four that he would have known how God was gonna perfectly position him to be the one who brought Paul to meet Peter. There was no way he could have known that. But maybe God chose to use Barnabas in chapter nine because he was faithful in chapter four. How could God be positioning you tomorrow if you chose to be faithful today? Listen, friends, there's a spiritual principle here that I don't want you to miss. Look right up here, look at me. Here's the principle. Faithful in little things, faithful in large things. Faithful in little things, faithful in large things. Jesus puts it this way, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Learn to walk by faith by being faithful with the little things in your life. Because when your faith meets God's faithfulness, he will lead you to do things you never imagined possible. That's why what you do in chapter four of your life impacts chapter nine of your life. Our lives are not a series of isolated events. So let me ask you, what little thing is God calling you to be faithful in today? Well, Barnabas gives us a great example of the best of the church in Acts chapter four. But now we come to not so great of an example in the church because on the heels of Barnabas's compassion and generosity, chapter five opens up. And, and I want you to listen as I read the first 11 verses. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself but brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think you could do such a thing? You... You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward. They wrapped up his body, and they carried him out, and they buried him. Now, about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Verse 8 says this, Peter asked her, tell me, Is this the price that that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they're gonna carry you you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Man, talk about that volunteer team. And then verse 11 is probably one of the greatest understatements in the Bible. 
Great fear seized the whole church and all heard about these events. Nobody was gonna be lying in the church for the next couple of weeks. Well, happy Mother's Day. Let's bow for a word of closing prayer. No, 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 <laughs> just hang on for a moment because in all seriousness, you might be thinking, why did you share this not so great example? I'll give you that answer in just a moment. But first, let's take a look at this couple. Ananias and Sapphira saw what Barnabas did and the response that he received for what he did. So maybe over dinner one night, Ananias and Sapphira said to each other, you know, it would be, it'd be really nice if we had a nickname. Wouldn't it be great if we were known as Mr. and Mrs. Generous? If people said, look what they did. So they decided to sell some property and brought the money to the apostles, just like Barnabas. But the only problem is that they lied. They appeared to give all the proceeds, but in reality, they only gave a portion. And in doing so, they sought to deceive the apostles and to lie to the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit gives Peter the ability to discern the truth and expose them. Now, it's important to note that Peter said to them that no one was asking you to sell, asking them to sell the property. You, you didn't have to go do this. It was yours to begin with. And if you sold it, all you really needed to do was to give your tithe, your 10%. Nobody was forcing you to give all of it. My, my point is this. Ananias and Sapphira didn't do what they did as an act of giving. They did what they did as an act of getting. And what were they trying to get? They were trying to get the glory, the recognition. And in trying to get the glory, they became what all of us would call hypocrites, pretending to be something you're not. Now, when it comes to hypocrisy, can we all agree it's not attractive? It's not appealing. No, no one's running around saying, I want to be a hypocrite. You want to be a hypocrite? Let's join the hypocrite team. Hypocrite? Hypocrite? No, no, no. So why is it reality if nobody wants to be a hypocrite? Let's be honest, there's a bit of hypocrite in all of us. Now there are two main reasons for hypocrisy. First, pride. Hypocrisy reveals the presence of pride. I think you get that one, you know that. But the second one is a little bit more hidden, but it's critical that you understand it, that we understand it, because hypocrisy reveals a distorted understanding of the gospel. What's the gospel? Well, the essence of the gospel is this, and I'll put it in personal terms. I am a sinner in need of a savior, and Jesus came to be my savior. Friends, we are all sinners. I am, you are, we all are. And what hypocrisy says is that I'm going to pretend that I'm not a sinner. I'm gonna put on a front, and that's a distortion of the gospel. Because the true gospel says, I can be my real self, and I can be real and authentic with you, that I am a sinner. Listen. Hypocrisy, it puts an incredible weight on all of us to be better than we really are. The gospel frees us by saying, you know who you are and you are in process of becoming who God made you to be. Because when you came to Jesus, let's face it, you were a really big sinner, but now you're a little bit less of a sinner because you look a little bit more like Jesus. That's why, friends, the church should be the least judgmental place on earth. Why? Because I am a recipient of grace as a sinner, and that means I should give you grace as well because you are a sinner too. And because Ananias and Sapphira, because of their hypocrisy, they were killed. Now, thank God he chose not for this to be the pattern in his church moving forward. I think this is the only time this happens. But I believe that God was trying to communicate something to his early church as well as to our church. And this is an important lesson that we need to hear. Friends, 
we must have a reverent awareness and respect for God's holiness. When God moves among his people, we can't mess that up with a distortion of the gospel or our pride or our ego. Amen? Well, there you have it. A great example and a not so great example in the church. So at this point, you might be wondering, why is this message important? And why was it given on Mother's Day? Well, let me answer that question now. The message is important because earlier in service, we dedicated a number of babies. Remember all those beaming moms so proud of their babies? And not only did we dedicate babies today, we have a church full of children, little boys and girls, ages two, three, four, five, six years old, who are sitting in Pathways Kids right now. Not to mention, we have a good number of teenagers, middle school and high school students. And friends, a point in time will come when those young lives will be sitting where you are sitting today as adults. And perhaps a day will come when someone like me will stand on a stage like the one in front of you and say prior to this teaching, they'll say, most of you have come from church backgrounds. Some of you have had really great ones and some you've had some not so great ones. And maybe that pastor will ask for a show of hands. And our hope is that every kid and every student would raise their hand and be able to say, thank God I was raised at Pathways Church. We were united, one in heart and mind. I saw compassion and generosity expressed by people. It was a grace-giving church. It wasn't judgy. It was, a, it was a great church. And who makes Pathways a great church? You do and I do. That's why this message is important because what's the faith of the next generation worth? It's worth everything. Just ask any mom. After all, that's why your mom wants you to walk in the truth and be a part of a great church. God bless you. I'm gonna turn the service over now and I hope to see you next weekend as we continue our series in the book of Acts together.